Good morning. I'm always worried about turning that on too early in case you hear me singing. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Um, can we have the PowerPoint up, please? Lovely. Fantastic. So, here we go. Week three, People of Purpose. Um, and we are basing this series on this statement. This is a uh, statement by Rick Warren, which is hard to say five times fast. Um, try it later. And the statement is, our purpose is to bring people to Jesus and membership in his family, develop them into Christ-like maturity, equip them for ministry in his church and mission in the world in order to magnify his name. And Steve kicked us off two weeks ago by looking at how we magnify God's name in our lives. And last week we looked at the first M, which is membership in his family. We explored the idea that part of our created purpose is to be a member of God's family and that all of us have a unique role to play in the church or as Paul describes it, the body of Christ and we spoke about how God is a relational being how he is three in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and how his desire has always been that we are adopted into his family that he becomes our father and we become his children and brothers and sisters to each other And we also mentioned that the love that we demonstrate for each other is how people will know that we're his followers. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. So that's where we've been. This morning we're going to look at the next M in this statement, which is Christ-like maturity. And over the summer we did a, a huge series through the book of James for you, 15 weeks, and we looked at some of the real practical ways that we can um, mature as believers. Um, but this morning I don't want to kind of go over that ground again. You've got that series online if you want to look at it. Um, I want to take a slightly different approach to this idea of Christ-like maturity. So what is Christ-like maturity? Well, last week we looked at the idea that we are made in God's image. It says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. Notice it says, Let us make mankind in our image. That's three in one again, the relational God. And then verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Well, put simply, an image is supposed to bear the likeness of something or someone. If I were to put up a statue this morning, say I was going to construct a statue of Steve here at the front, My hope is that you will be reminded of Steve and what a wonderful leader he is. If if it didn't look like Steve, then it wouldn't be a very good statue, would it? I remember when Amelie was born, um, many people would come up to us and say, Oh my goodness, she looks just like Sean. And um, my heart would sink a little bit. Not because I don't love my wife or indeed my daughter, but because I would think there's nothing of me come into her you know are my genes not good enough you know what's happened there why does she look just like Sean and not like me and then um, a couple of years later when Elijah was born the role was reversed and everyone said he looked like me and my heart would soar and I think yes he really is mine (laughs) he bore my image 
And the same is true of God. He wants us to reflect his image. When people look at us, he wants them to see God. I know that when you look at me this morning, that's what you see. You see God in me, right? Well, perhaps not. The trouble is, it turns out that we're not very good image bearers, are we? We lie and we steal and we cheat and we hurt each other and abuse each other and cause damage to each other and we're selfish and self-centered and only interested in our own fame and glory and, you know, that's just a handful of our faults. We may have been created in God's image, but sin has distorted us so that we're unrecognizable as children of God. That's really sad, isn't it? What a sad thing that we were created to be this way, to reflect the Father, and yet, because of sin, we don't. So part of Jesus' mission, part of the reason he came to earth, was to restore the image of God to mankind. How did he do that? Well, he became one of us, but he didn't allow himself to be distorted by sin. He became the perfect image of God. A couple of verses for you. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. We were made to be the image, but Jesus is it. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The exact representation of God. And 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So Jesus shows us how we are to bear the image of God by becoming one of us and showing what it should look like. So when we say Christ-like maturity this morning, we're talking about how we can better reflect the image of God by becoming more like Jesus. And this doesn't mean that we ought to don white robes and blue sashes and grow our hair long and you know, have a beard and all the rest of it. We're not really talking about um, even our personalities. You know, we spoke last week about how God has made us all different for a purpose, but we're talking about the characteristics of Jesus. How we can learn to be more Christ-like in our life. And the only way to do that, really, is to become a disciple of Jesus. A disciple's not a common word in our, our language anymore, so I'll define what it means. A disciple is someone who adheres... Who? Someone who adheres to the teachings of another. A follower or a learner. It's someone who takes up the ways of somebody else. Before the the term Christian was coined, the followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. Because they were trying to take up his ways and learn how to be like him. Excuse me. So while Jesus was on earth, he had um, many, many people that followed him and wanted to be like him, crowds and crowds of people. But he had 12 who were dedicated to his disciples, who wanted to become like him. And this morning, I just want to focus on one of those guys, a chap called Simon Peter. Sometimes he's called Simon, sometimes he's called Peter, sometimes he's called Simon Peter, but it's the same guy, I promise. And I just want to tell you two short stories from his life as a disciple and see what we can learn. So the first one's found in Luke, chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles with you. And it's to do with how we become a disciple, how we become a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to read uh, from verse 1. 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesneret, which is sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put the boat out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So the sea scene opens on the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, as it said, a very large lake. And sitting near his boat was Simon. And Simon was a fisherman. Simon had been a fisherman all of his life. It was what he knew. And it was a hard job being a fisherman. You would work the whole year through, in the cold of winter, in the heat of summer. And the best fishing on the Sea of Galilee was often at night. So it involved working all through the night. Although last night had proved fruitless. The job was a skilled job and it required that you make and maintain your own nets. And the nets were made of linen so they had to be washed and dried after each use to avoid them wearing out too quickly and breaking. And on this particular day, as Simon was washing his nets from the night before, somewhat downtrodden, he was aware of a man teaching from the seafront, Jesus He had met him before and he had seen how he can change lives and he even knew some of the things that he'd been saying but he hadn't made him, paid him much attention. After all, why should he bother? Simon had everything that he needed. He had a job and a wife and a family and he was successful enough to have partners in the business. He was happy, he was content. And then out of nowhere, Jesus was in his boat, right in front of him, in his way. He thought, what shall I do? Shall I tell him to sling his hook, get out of my boat? It's my boat, it's my life. And this Jesus fellow is right in front of me, trying to take over. And then Simon made a decision that would change his whole life. He decided to get into the boat with Jesus. He rode out a short distance and for the first time he really listened to Jesus as he continued to teach the crowd. And after he finished speaking, he turned from the crowd to Simon and said, put out into deep water. It's time to go deeper. Let's let down the nets for a catch. Now this was daft. Simon knew this was daft. There was no way they were going to catch enough to warrant dirtying the nets again. The nets he spent all morning washing and drying. He was exhausted from the night before. And it went against everything that he'd been taught and knew as a fisherman. He replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Despite it going against everything he thought he knew, he decided to take Jesus at his word and follow his instruction. And his obedience led to the best catch of the day. In fact, the best catch of his life. At that point, he realised that Jesus was someone worth following. And once they'd gathered in the fish, he decided to dedicate the rest of his life to following him. It says they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything and followed him. Now, I know my retelling of that story is perhaps not quite as skillful as uh, as Tim's earlier. Um, But I think it's really good sometimes to imagine how the characters in the Bible must have felt as we read through these stories. And in doing so, sometimes we can see ourselves in the stories that we read. For example, some of you this morning perhaps have the kind of relationship with Jesus where you're sitting on the shore washing your nets, vaguely aware of him. You know that others talk about him, you know that others say that he's changed their lives, but you think it's perhaps not really for you. You know, you have everything you need, you're, you're busy enough, you have your life and your job, and, and you know, you're happy. You're perhaps just happy to keep him at that distance. For others, he might be standing on our boat this morning. He might be right in front of us, asking us to row out a short way with him. To make that first step, to perhaps get it to know him a little bit better. And maybe you've been coming to church for some time and you're increasingly aware of this, this Jesus fellow that people keep talking about. And you know in your heart of hearts that he wants you to get to know him a little better to include him in your life. I was very young when I decided to follow Jesus. Um, I think I was around the age of nine. And I remember having heard a lot about him from friends and family. And I remember one night just praying that Jesus would come into my life and promising to do my best to follow him. I remember having the strongest sense that that was the right thing to do and that he was right there with me. And I honestly believe that my whole life has been different because of the decision that I made on that day. It's not to say that my life has been easy or plain sailing, if you'll excuse the pun. There have been great times and hard times, but Jesus has been a constant companion with me. Teaching me and helping me to mature through my circumstances. And the decision that Simon made on that day to get in the boat with Jesus had a profound effect on his life as well. He travelled with him. He learned from him. He became more and more Christ-like. Eventually, he healed sick and he raised people from the dead and he became the foundation for the whole church. Read through Acts and you'll see how many ways in which uh, Peter became like Jesus. But it all started with that decision to get in the boat with him. So my first challenge really is, where are you at this morning? Are you going to carry on drying your nets on the shoreline, happy to keep him at a distance? Or are you ready to go a bit deeper with Jesus? For many of us here, Jesus is already in the boat. You've thrown your lot in with him, you've you've journeyed a short while, and maybe he's saying it's time to go a bit deeper. Are you going to trust me or not? Jesus put Simon in an uncomfortable position that day. He wanted him to learn to trust him even when it went against his own understanding of the situation. 
Which brings me on to my second story this morning. Once we've decided to follow Jesus, how does God mature us, make us more like Christ? If you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 22 through to 33. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd... After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, then tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down from the boat, walked out on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter needed to learn that becoming a mature believer of Jesus was learning to trust him, even when things seemed impossible. He'd been journeying with Jesus for some time now. This was about a year later, and in fact they're out on the the same lake, the the Sea of Galilee, and he trusted him up to a point. Otherwise he wouldn't have got out of the boat at all. But as he stepped out onto the water and began to walk towards Jesus, he was distracted by the wind and the waves. He became afraid. Back when Jesus met him in that first story, he'd said to him, don't be afraid. In the middle of the storm, Jesus had walked to him and said, don't be afraid. But Peter became overwhelmed by the storm. And the trouble is, that's what life's like, isn't it? Full of storms. Situations that can overwhelm us, that can appear to be coming at us from all sides. You know, and it might be problems with our family. It might be problems at work. It might be issues with our health or issues with money. Issues with our home or problems with our friends or our children. And they can just overwhelm us. And we can say, why, why God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Surely this isn't a part of your plan for my life. And I just got, you know, the sense this morning that as we were singing those great songs of worship together, for some of you, it was like you, you just couldn't connect with the song because the situation that you're in is so big in your mind. It's so overwhelming that you, you just feel you can't even get to that point where you can worship at the moment. It's too much. the trouble is this is a part of all of our lives Jesus said in uh, John 16 verse 33 here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows what we need to realise this morning what we need to hold on to is that God can use those times to make us more like Christ if we can learn to trust him through the storms I noticed something 
about this passage this week as I was reading it that I hadn't ever seen before. Just prior to Jesus entering the storm, it says in verse 23, um, after he dismissed them, he went up the mountainside by himself to pray. Why was Jesus praying? Well, if we skip back a few verses to verse 10, we find out that John the Baptist had just been beheaded in prison. John was Jesus' cousin. John was Jesus' friend. And it says in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a, uh, by a boat privately to a solitary place. And it says, hearing this, crowds followed him on foot up from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus was going through a tough time. He needed to spend time with God in order to get him through. He was mourning the death of his friend and he wanted, he was trying to find the space and the time to lean on his father to help him through. And in the same way when storms come into our life, we need to learn to take the time to be reliant on God. See, problems can make us more like Christ by forcing us to depend on him and not ourselves. God's aim for our life isn't actually that we become more and more comfortable, it's that we become more and more like Christ. And to do that, sometimes he'll allow us to go through trials. Jesus had allowed the disciples to row out into the storm. From the mountainside, he'd have been able to see the storm coming, but he allowed them to go into it. Later on, Peter himself said um, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Don't be bewildered or surprised when you go through fiery trials ahead. For this is not a strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. So how do we survive them? How do we mature through these trials? How do we keep them from overwhelming us? Because the trouble is, sometimes trials don't produce a blessing, do they? Sometimes we don't get better, we get bitter. So there's just three things I want to leave you with this morning. Ways in which we can look at the situation that we're in to be helped through it, to see us mature. The first is that we need to stay focused on God's plan, not our pain. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our focus on him. As Peter took his eyes off Jesus in the middle of the storm, that's when he began to sink, that's when he began to drown. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says this, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Again, Jesus is our example. The only way that Jesus was able to endure the pain and suffering of the cross was by keeping focused on God's plan. You remember the the, the prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross, where he said, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, no, but not my will, but yours be done. He knew that ultimately, after the pain, after the suffering, that salvation would be complete. And he was able to endure by focusing on the plan. Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch Christian who um, hid many uh, Jewish people during the uh, Second World War and was eventually imprisoned and suffered in a concentration camp, said this. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within you, you'll be depressed. 
But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I think that's really important that we keep our focus on him. Secondly, don't give in to short-term thinking. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28 to 29, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them, why did he choose them? To become like his son. You see, God causes everything that happens to us our mistakes, our regret, our hurt, our pain, our illnesses, the disasters that befall us, our debts, divorce, deaths, whatever it is that we're going through to work together so that we can fulfill our purpose of becoming more like Christ. If we're to become more like him, then suffering is a part of that process. And Jesus went through it all. Rejection, pain, mockery, slander. We need to hold on to the fact that God is ultimately working for our good. It doesn't say all situations are good. It doesn't say that that it's going to be an easy time. It just says that God is able to use everything that we go through for our good. The evangelist uh, Julian Adams writes that embracing suffering without a clear understanding of the goodness of God is self-harm, not sanctification. We need to understand that there is no situation that we are facing that God cannot use. And this was Peter's experience. This was one of the many experiences that helped him become the man that he he was made to be. Finally, we need to start praying in the right way. Once you understand that God's purpose was to make you more like Christ... You no longer need to ask, why me, Lord? But you can say, what do you want me to learn, Lord? How are you going to use this experience to shape me to be more like Christ? I mentioned James at the the start, uh, and this is a passage we looked at back in the summer. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith is forced into the open and shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and deficient in no way. I know things are tough, but what is God teaching you through it? How can we mature through it? Years later, um, Peter wrote this. He said, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Just because times are tough doesn't mean that God has given up on you. It means he's refining you. A silversmith was asked, How do you know when silver is pure? He replied, When I see my reflection in it. When you've been refined by trials people can see Jesus' reflection in you. If we're going to go on to Christ-like maturity this morning, we need to learn to hold on to him even when times are tough. Okay. Um, Would the band come and join me, please? I'm going to do... We've had two stories this morning, so I'm going to do two responses. 
Firstly, if you haven't yet become a follower of Jesus, and you feel as though this morning that he's standing in the boat in front of you, asking you to get in with you, get in with him, then I would encourage you to do so. Before the band play their final song, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never responded to Jesus' request to follow him, pray along with me, or pray your own prayer. Secondly this morning, if you feel as though you're becoming overwhelmed in the storm, that things are just too much, as I said, you know, if you're one of those that, that is just struggling to even worship because you just feel like this situation is so big in your mind and we want to pray for you and as the band play the final song, I would just encourage you to come to the front and one of the leaders will pray with you. Okay. Let's pray.